All right, good morning again. Let everybody get one of these. If you didn't get one of these, I can send one back to you. It's going to be hard to read on the PowerPoint. It's the reason why. All right, there we go. Oh, over here. All right. I'm going to give them all the rod. No, I'm going to keep one. I'm going to keep one. Give me one. The reason I'm keeping one is because it's a real nice little stand right there. I like that. It's good to be uh, back with you all today. You can turn to John uh, 18. We'll be there in just a few moments. What I wanted to do uh, this morning, a little bit different than a normal uh, sermon that I give, but I like to do that. I like to do something a little different every once in a while. And in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, Paul talks about the gospel, and he defines the gospel. He says, this is what I've, I've delivered to you, that which I received, how that Christ died for our sins, he was buried, and that he rose again on the third day. And he says, according to the scriptures in both cases, that is that he died and he fulfilled all the prophecies of the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law. He did not commit any sin. And then also, he raised again on the third day, according to the scriptures, according to all the prophecies. He fulfilled all of those prophecies. And that's the good news. The good news is that Jesus died for us, that he was buried, then he raised again. And that's the hope that we have, right? We have the hope in the resurrection, so that if we've been buried with him in baptism, we've died to our old self, we've been buried with him in baptism, and we've raised up again, we participate in his resurrection. And so we have that hope of a home with him in heaven. That's Romans chapter 6. And when I was able to go to the Bible lands, I was able to visit Israel. The whole time, you know, it impresses upon you things that you just didn't expect. And the whole time that you're there, you're thinking, how can I give that experience? How can I communicate that to people who don't have an opportunity to go? I was blessed with that opportunity to get a chance to go. And I want to, to give a piece of that to you. I want to to share some of the things that I learned and some of the things that I experienced with you. And so this is kind of my attempt today to do some of that, is to share some of what I learned by by traveling there. And one of the things you immediately realize when you are there in the Bible lands, in Jerusalem, in the surrounding area, is what people do as opposed to what the Bible teaches us to do, Right? People's attitudes towards these places that these things happened as opposed to what the Bible and what God would have us to do. Uh, one example of that. Hold on. Now i got to make sure this thing's on. There we go. Did you do that or I do that? You did it. All right. He hit it. I, I may have to do that several times, but I'll do it several times. All right, here we go. So that's the uh, Via Dolorosa. That is the path that Jesus went from the trial of Pilate to Golgotha. And they call that the, the way of the cross. And there are these stations all along the way of different happenings that happened to Jesus as he was taking the cross from uh, Pilate to Golgotha. Now, I'll just go ahead and tell you, they don't actually know the actual path he took. And yet, there are all these places that they have marked, 14 different stations of the cross, and all these people clog this road all the time. 
and they're worshiping at each one of these places, these different stations. And at most of the different stations, guess what they have built? They have a church built there, a little chapel. And guess what's in every one of those churches? Well, a gift shop. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? Uh, it's, it's almost as if you can figure out what their motivations are. Isn't it? And, uh, which, you know, maybe you ought to put a gift shop downstairs. No. No, that's not the point, right? The point is to try to, to see these places and, and have a better and deeper understanding of what Jesus went through. But they, they packed the street. And in this, this picture up here, this is not a new thing. That's a fifth century mosaic on the floor. And it's at one of the stations of the cross. It's one of the places that they say that Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. It's the first one. And they say that at that place, Mary was there. And that that's her footprints. That's where she stayed. So they they did a mosaic of it, of sandals, so you can know right where Mary was when Jesus fell under the weight of the cross. Now, that's not in the Bible, right? They don't know where that actually was. But they put these these footprints on there. Guess what they sell in the gift shop there? They sell little sandals, right? Little magnets of the sandals. I mean, it's just a, a very odd thing. Uh, and they take this uh, tourist concept. Here, go to the next. Tourist trap concept, very seriously. The birthplace of the Virgin Mary. Now, we don't know where the birthplace of the Virgin Mary is, but they have a little church built right there. They really want you to go to it. There's... There's one that's cut off, but there's actually three signs pointing. There's one over the door, and then there's one sign going from each way to let you know that this is the place to go where the Virgin the Virgin Mary's birthplace is, which, again, we don't know. I'm going to give up doing that and just tell you. Go to the next one. No, back. Now, see, that was me. Back, back, back. 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 <laughs> right there. There I am. Right around the corner from the birthplace, so-called birthplace of the Virgin Mary, is the Alabama store. I didn't find Tennessee store or the Georgia store, but I just thought you'd find that very interesting. They have all kinds of tourist traps uh, around there. Go ahead and go to the next. I want to start in uh, the garden, and that's in John chapter 18. Of course, Jesus would go there uh, to pray. It was his habit to do so, it would seem. Uh, and he's there. Uh, after the Last Supper, in John chapter 18 and verses 1 and 2, it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he went forth with his disciples over the brook Cedron, where was a garden, into the which he entered, and his disciples. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place, for Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. So Jesus made a habit of going to this garden. I really like uh, this picture that I took of the garden that they have there, made to look like the Garden of Gethsemane. And there's a path through it, and there's all these really old olive trees, and it's, it's really pretty. And I think there's a couple of things here that we could take from, from visiting that place. And that is, one, Jesus would go to these places because it was, it was quiet, and, and he could get away from the crowds, right? And he could meditate, and he could pray, and he could think on on the things that were going to be happening to him. And, of course, he's fervently praying here in the garden right before they arrest him. But also I think that it's so beautiful and lush in this garden. 
And I had been to Galilee right before this, the north of Israel, which is much more uh, beautiful and lush. There's a lot of uh, flowers there. There's a lot of trees there. And as you move south away from Galilee, it gets more and more desert-like. And most of the area around Jerusalem, uh, there's the hill country to the west, uh, which is like pastures. And then there's desert. In fact, you can even see the Dead Sea looking the other way from the Mount of Olives. But I think Jesus went here partly because it reminded him of home. Now, I don't know that, but it reminded me of where I had just been in Galilee. And so I think Jesus uh, did that as well. Of course, he was taken prisoner here. They come to get him. Go ahead, go to the next uh, you could overlook all of Jerusalem, and I think Jesus liked to pray in places where he could look out and see places. Uh, one of those is overlooking Jerusalem, and the Mount of Olives overlooks the Temple Mount. Uh, now, now on the Temple Mount, of course, you have the Dome of the Rock, and it's controlled by Muslims, but you can still see the wall, and part of that wall was there when uh, Jesus was there, and there's this gate called the Golden Gate. He had gone through that gate just a few days before in the triumphal entry. In fact, it was predicted that the Messiah would go through that gate, which is why now the Muslims who control it have sealed that gate off. You'll notice that there's no path through there. They've sealed it off. They sealed it off hundreds of years ago to keep the Messiah from going through it. They're a few hundred years too late. But they've done that because the Jews don't believe the Messiah has come yet. And the Jews have all of these grave boxes that they've put there. They want to be buried there looking at that gate for the, for the Messiah. But Jesus had gone through there just a few days before and onto the Temple Mount. And I think he was thinking about that and he's... he's uh, <clears throat> He's contemplating that while he's praying, the people that he's, he's sacrificing himself for. Go ahead, go to the next. And then this is some of the ruins that are there on top of that hill. This is where he was probably arrested, and there's a, a giant church built on top of the place where they say he was arrested. Go to the next slide. And it's, it's a beautiful church building, really high vaulted ceilings, blue uh, and purple, predominantly throughout all of that. Uh, and of course, he had gone, he had left the disciples there and he had gone a little way off. Luke says that he went a stone's throw uh, away. Uh, he withdrew about a stone's throw. That's Luke twenty-two forty-one. Go to the next. And uh, that's this location is what they say. Now you'd have to have, we walked down there and it was a little bit more than a stone's throw, I'd say, of where they say this is. You had to have a pretty good arm. Uh, to throw a, I mean, it's downhill. Maybe, I guess you, you could maybe throw a stone that far. Uh, but it's probably not the exact location. But they have a little chapel built over a cave that's down there. We got in trouble because in the, in the little vestibule area down there, we tried to sing a song, uh, praise to God, and they, they didn't like that. So they, they shut us down and told us we had to be quiet and not worship God in the chapel. But that's what they said. <laughs> and uh, and then, uh, go ahead and go to the next slide. As they prepare, and this is what I made you a little, I tried to make it so that you could have these so you could see them a bit better. Uh, this is the trials 
of Jesus that he's about to go through. And he's about to, to move from place to place, uh, being forced to go to each of these different places. And so I want to talk about them, and we're going to visit them briefly and, and take a look at how people, uh, you know, worship God by visiting these places and how this vain, often vain worship uh, is just, it's just really sad in a lot of cases. But I think we can gain some knowledge and interest uh, and understanding of, of what Jesus went through when we look at this, where he's got trials one and two at Annas and Caiaphas' house, uh, and then he's taken before the Sanhedrin on the Temple Mount, and then he goes to Pilate. That's actually where I'm standing to take this picture. Uh, and John, I didn't realize John was in my picture, but John got in my picture, so I could. I don't have a better picture, so uh, John Moore got in my picture, looking off into the distance there. But uh, I'm standing at the place where Pilate conducted those trials, and then he sent him to Herod, which Herod's palace was over here, and then back to Pilate, and then, of course, to Golgotha, which is over here. And on your card, you can see the two domes of the church that they have built uh, over that. But he starts by going to uh, Caiaphas's house. Go ahead and go to the next slide. John 18, 13 through 14, we see that he leads him away to Annas first, for he was father-in-law to Caiaphas, which was the high priest that same year. Now Caiaphas was he which gave counsel to the Jews that it was expedient that one man should die for the people. All right, so Caiaphas, uh, we have found in 1990, they found his ossuary, which is a bone box. And inside, guess what they found? Caiaphas. Well, his bones, anyway. Uh, bones of a man about 50 years old. So they found the bones of the high priest in this ossuary, and we got to see it in uh, the Israeli Antiquities Museum. And go ahead and go to the next slide. They also know where his house was. Uh, so this is where they brought Jesus, was Caiaphas's house. Now he was the high priest, but Annas, his father-in-law, was the rightful high priest, but Rome did not like him, and so they had put Caiaphas in his place. So it's interesting, John points out that he went to Annas first, showing that Annas really did have some, some power, even though it was unofficial power. And then they go to Caiaphas's house. And it's here where uh, Peter denies him, and we, we see uh, that the very uh, famous uh, look that Jesus gives him, right? So in Luke twenty two sixty one, I've always found this to be just such a, uh, a heartbreaking verse. Luke 22 and verse 61. You can picture Peter is out in this courtyard and he has already denied Christ twice and he's about to deny him a third time. And after he does so, in verse 60, and Peter said, Man, I know not what thou sayest. And immediately, while he yet spake, the cock crew, the, the rooster crowed, as Jesus said it would, right? And he's reminded of what happened. And what, what's the next verse? And the Lord turned and looked upon Peter. Now, I just, I always find that to be such an interesting detail that Luke puts in there, is he must have talked to Peter about that look, right? Wouldn't you like to interview Peter about that look? It might be a little uncomfortable. 
You know, hey, Peter, you denied Jesus. Remember when you denied Jesus that third time? What did Jesus, when he looked at you, what was that look like? I don't know what it was like, but I know what Peter did right afterwards. It says, And Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said unto him before the cock crow, that thou shalt deny me thrice. And Peter went out and wept bitterly. That look must have communicated a lot to Peter, don't you think? And it's not a look that we want to have from Jesus, is it? We don't want to deny uh, Christ. We want to, to live for Christ. But while after that, it looks like there's a, a waiting time for Jesus. In other words, he has, he has been uh, interviewed probably by Annas, interviewed by Caiaphas, but now they have to wait until the light, the first light of morning before they can convene the Sanhedrin, or it would not be uh, legal. Now, they're wanting to rush this through, I believe. They want to take care of this as quickly as possible, but they're going to try to adhere to the law, and so they have to wait uh, till the morning. Go ahead and go to the next slide. Just uh, on the side of Caiaphas's property is what they call the pit. Uh, this is essentially a dungeon, a prison that he had on his his property, and this is probably where Jesus waited. And, and you can see actually uh, crusader crosses and things. People have visited this place for a long time, thinking about Jesus being uh, in prison here, waiting for the next trial. And uh, it, it's not a very pleasant place. We were able to go down in there. There's even these these things in the wall where they would bind the prisoners to it. So that those are still there. And it's not hard to imagine Jesus being there and sitting there and waiting for the next trial. In Mark 15, 1, we learn as soon as it is morning, so as soon as the light breaks, they take him, they convene the Sanhedrin, and they take him to the Sanhedrin. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So they've taken him from Annas and Caiaphas's house over to the Sanhedrin. So, so far he has gone from the Mount of Olives to Annas and Caiaphas's house. Now that he's going to the Temple Mount where they're going to convene the Sanhedrin. Go, go to the next. And of course, this is where uh, it's, it's almost political theater that they're going to try to justify killing uh, Jesus. Now they didn't have that power, they're going to have to go through Rome, right? But they want Jesus to die. And they make this great show of bringing forth false witnesses. Uh, they they try to interrogate Jesus. And of course, the high priest even tears his clothes, uh, strikes him, they're spitting on him, uh, beating him. And they need to resolve this quickly for a number of reasons. First, the sacrifice for atonement has already started. It starts as soon as the the light breaks of day. And this is an important time. It's the Passover, right? So not only the normal daily sacrifices are going on, they all, the high priest and these chief priests, they all have duties. They all have things that they have to do in front of all the people that are gathered for Passover. So they want to hurry this along as much as they can. But you'll notice that all the way through it, they follow Jesus to make sure that whichever trial he's going on, that, that they continue the pressure, they keep up the pressure to, to kill Jesus, to execute him. Uh, they're going to do that at every step of the way. And so now they've condemned him, but they don't have the authority to kill him. 
And so they're going to have to go to Pilate. That's the next uh, slide. So on the next slide, uh, we're going to see that they go from the Sanhedrin to where I'm standing to take this picture. Go to the next. Thank you, sir. So this is before Pilate. This is Luke 23, verses 1 through 7. Uh, this place, the Praetorium, is a palace that uh, Herod the Great had built. Uh, and now the Roman governors would take residence there when they were in Jerusalem. There's another Praetorium that's in Caesarea uh, Maritima, but where they usually stayed because it's a more Roman city. Uh, but, but he is there, Pilate is there, because he wants to make sure that during the festival, during Passover, there's no riots, there's no uprising against Rome. So he's here. Uh, and this is the Tower of David. That's what they call it. David didn't build it, but that's what they, they call it. And uh, that's where I took the picture from, was right there. So that's where that, that overview picture is being taken from. Uh, so they take him to Pilate, and they, they change the charges against Jesus. All of a sudden, it's not about blasphemy, right? Now it's about taxes. He says, he said not to pay taxes to Caesar, and he even claims to be king himself. So we're not to honor the, the king, the emperor of Rome. We have to honor him instead. And so they bring these charges to him, uh, against him, that would hopefully encourage Pilate to, to condemn him. And Pilate interrogates him and asks him about it. And he says, uh, you know, do you really think you're a king, and Jesus answered, just what? You say it's so. He asked him about these other charges, right? You, you say it's not all right to pay taxes to Caesar? And Jesus doesn't even answer him. And Pilate is shocked by this, as you can imagine. Pilate's used to having criminals brought to him and interrogate them. And if, if you were guilty of a charge and you're brought before the magistrate or, or the procurator, Pilate, what would you do? What would your reaction be? I didn't do it. Right, you know that what there's all the charges that they're saying that's not true, right? That's the natural reaction of a guilty person, right? But it's not Jesus's reaction. Jesus stands mute before Pilate. He doesn't defend himself, and, and Pilate's shocked. He says, "You know, I don't find anything wrong, deserving of death with this man. It seems like he's violated some Jewish law that religious law that I don't care about." That's kind of how he feels about it. But he's trying to find a political way out of this situation, so he sends him to Herod. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So it goes uh, from Pilate here to the palace that Herod is staying in, Herod uh, Antipas. And Herod is excited. He's, he's heard about Jesus. He's heard about uh, the miracles that he's, he's performed, and he wants to see a miracle. So he's excited that Jesus is coming there. Uh, and he's kind of honored that Pilate would send him over there to him. He's, he, they had been enemies up to this point. It says after this, they became friends because Pilate honored him in this way. But this is the man that had killed John. Uh, this is a wicked, wicked man. And Jesus, I, I just think Jesus, if it had been me, this would have been when salvation would have been most at risk because I would really want to use my power, right, to punish this man. But Jesus doesn't do that. 
He says, hey, Jesus, perform a miracle for me, right? And Jesus just stands there and doesn't say anything. And then he makes fun of Jesus. He hurts Jesus. He, they do all sorts of things to, to make fun of him and embarrass him because he will, refuses to answer Herod's questions. And then eventually Herod just sends him back uh, to Pilate. I forgot to go to the next slide. Go ahead, go to the next slide. This is the palace that uh, Herod was in. That's Luke 23, 8 through 12. All right, go to the next. So he sends him back to uh, uh, Pilate here. And now Pilate really is in a pickle, right? He can't get out of this. He's trying to find a way to release Jesus without causing a riot. Uh, The Jews are are pushing this forward. Uh, They're wanting to cause a riot if he won't execute Jesus to death. And there's actually a pretty accurate depiction of this in, in the Passion of the Christ movie. Go, go ahead and go to the next slide. We know where this spot is. This is, this is it, just outside the Praetorium. This is the raised platform. Pilate would have been just standing here, and the people would have been all around down here, uh, and Jesus the accused would have been here before Pilate. We know where that place is. I think that's neat that, that we know right where this almost certainly was. Uh, and there's a good depiction of it up here in the corner of Pilate standing here. Jesus is here off the screen. And then uh, was it Barabbas who they release in instead? Uh, and so he tries to release Jesus saying, okay, well, I, I have to release someone to you for the festival. I'll release Jesus. There's no, give us Barabbas, the murderer, right? And he says, okay, well, I'll punish Jesus. I'll, I'll scourge him, which is a horrible Punishment. No, that's not good enough. We want you to crucify him, right? And, and put it on us. Put it on our heads and on our children's heads. Uh, that's what they pushed the crowd to. The same crowd that was just a few days ago honoring him through the triumphal entry. And so we see Pilate washing his hands in front of his gods, right? This, this man's blood's not on my, my hands. This is, this is your doing. And then he sentences him. Uh, to death. Go to the next slide. So then he's going to go to Golgotha, which is over here, and you can see it on your, your little sheet that I printed for you. So he's going to walk from here, and somewhere along there is the real path that he would have taken, but we don't know exactly what that path is, but they have, that's where the, the Via Dolorosa is. It starts right there, and it goes on to Golgotha, which ends at a church. Now, this is probably the correct location uh, for it. Go, go on to the next. Uh, in A.D. 135, Hadrian, uh, there was an uprising in 131 of the Jews. They had been trying to rebuild the temple, and they, were, they got real passionate about it to rise up against Rome. Rome comes and just crushes them, and, and it just destroys Jerusalem. They destroy everything, every holy site, everything that they can, they can do, tombs of famous patriarchs. I mean, they just, Rome just comes in and levels Jerusalem. And then he comes in and he rebuilds Jerusalem as a Roman city. And he takes away all the rights uh, of the Jews, of their their freedom to worship God. And he builds a, a temple to Jupiter. And uh, And then he has, there were Christians at this time who had started to worship at the tomb of Jesus. And so he levels that too. He wipes out Golgotha. Uh, he takes it right down to the bedrock, and he puts a statue of Jupiter on the top of Golgotha, 
and where they think the tomb was of Jesus, uh, he builds a temple to Venus. Uh, and later, uh, Constantine, a couple hundred years later, he converts to Christianity and he turns the Roman Empire towards Christianity. And he sends his mother, Helena, to the Bible lands and she starts identifying sites. And this is one of the, the first ones that she identified as being uh, the place where Jesus was crucified and where he was buried. And so she builds a, a church there. Go, go to the next slide. Uh, this is the current church that is, is there. Uh, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is what it's, it's called. And there, all of this is gone. They removed all of that mountaintop. What's left is this bedrock right here and some inside here. And this is the current tomb inside the church. It's, uh, it's probably in the right area. It was originally destroyed by Hadrian. Later, Constantine's mother builds this church. It was later destroyed by a fire. They started to build it again, and a Muslim caliphate in 1099, I think it is, destroys it and takes everything down to the bedrock uh, and tries even to take out Golgotha's rock, but they, they didn't manage to uh, destroy it, but they took it down to the bedrock. Later, uh, that this current church was built on top of that and is now controlled by six denominations, Greek Orthodox, Armenian, Apostolic, Roman Catholic, Coptic, Ethiopian, Syriac, and Orthodox churches all claim parts of this church. Now, each one of them would love to have the whole thing, but they're all in there. And what's really interesting is that the door is actually controlled by a Muslim. So you've got six different denominations in there, but the door, go to the next, this is the church of the Holy Sepulchre. Go to the next slide. The door is controlled by two Muslim men. One is called the key master, and that's this man here. This is the old key uh, that that he got, his family got in 1187. And it's been in his family and handed down to the oldest son in the family all that time. Uh, the key broke about 500 years ago and they made a new one. So that's the new key. It's 500 years old. And he entrusts that to this man's family. It's his job to take the key each day and go unlock the door, provide access to the Church of the Holy Sepulchre to all of the denominations. Isn't that interesting? In fact, he's famous uh, for not allowing Vice President Pence to go in, not unlocking the door on that day because uh, Trump had moved the embassy of Israel to Jerusalem, and in retaliation for that, he would not open the door for, for Vice President uh, Pence. Just a, as an interesting uh, side note. Go ahead and go to the next slide. This is the famous ladder. It's called the immovable ladder. And uh, I want to talk about that just briefly to show you it's, it's really a symbol of division in the world. Now Jesus on the eve you know, of, of his death is praying for unity among his followers. Here we have these six warring factions of Christianity all fighting over uh, this church. And in 1757 there was a decree that they issued, it's called the status quo. And they set up all these rules for how they're going to share the building, right? And and that's the rules. And on holidays, you get it at this time, and it never changes. This is the status quo. It's to keep the peace, right? And part of the status quo is everything has to be left the way it was. If you want to change anything, somebody breaks a window, whatever, 
you have to get the approval of every single denomination in there. And if they won't approve it, if anybody says no, you can't replace that window. This ladder was there when that decree, it's older than America. 1757, when they made this decree, that ladder was there. And they haven't been able to agree to move that ladder since then. So it's the immovable ladder. It just stays there for hundreds of years because they can't agree to move it. That's not what Jesus intended for his followers, is it? It's, it's foolish, right? And there's other things like that. Even in recent history, in uh, 2002, the, the Coptic denomination, they, they claimed this little area on top of the roof. So they station a monk there all the time who has to sit there. It's his job. They have different, you know, they assign different people, but you sit there all the time because that's staking claim to that section of the roof, right? Well, in 2002, it was a really hot day and, and there's a little bit of shade right there, just a couple inches over here. So that monk picked up his chair and moved it. They said 20 centimeters. I think that's a couple of inches, right? Somebody who knows metric system. It started a war in there. 11 people were hospitalized because they were offended. Uh, on another time in 2004, they, the Orthodox were celebrating one of their holidays and a Franciscan left the door open. They were highly offended. It was, it was, uh, taken as a sign of disrespect. And so they, they got into a huge fistfight. The police were called. On Palm Sunday in April 2008, the Greek monk was ejected from the building by a rival, rival faction, and the police were called again. Just all sorts of incidents like this, where violence breaks out because somebody moves some little thing or something like that. How silly and foolish. Go ahead and go to the, the next slide. So when you first enter the church, there's a staircase that leads up to the top of Golgotha, and there's this little... Uh, marble thing that's built under it to see it to see the top of Golgotha you actually have to wait in line of course and then crawl under there uh, to see it and if you do that this is what you'll see it's kind of hard to take a picture but you know that's the top of the mountain of Golgotha they've got a mirror on top here so you can see the hole that the cross was placed in probably not just for the the record but uh, but that's what they've got it there for Uh, and then if you go on you, you step away from that go to the next slide you see the line forming for the tomb of Jesus. And then the next slide. This is the tomb of Jesus. They just spent $3 million refurbishing that. Uh, so you, you can get an idea of where their priorities are. And you can see all these adornments, all these things uh, that are made up. Looking at John nineteen thirty-eight through 42, it says, After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came, bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. I found that so interesting. And so they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths and with the spices as his burial custom of the Jews. Now, in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Go ahead and go to the next slide. So if you go inside the tomb, which you can see all these adornments and everything as you're going in, there's a monk there screaming at you not to take any pictures. 
So this is the best I could do, sneaking a, a picture. Uh, this is the actual marble uh, that's put over the place where they say Jesus was buried. It's all a little bit absurd. Go to the next uh, slide. And you can see the beautiful building and all of the effort and money that they put uh, into this tomb, this building, all for, for an empty tomb uh, to celebrate. They're trying to celebrate uh, the life of Jesus. Go to the next slide. Uh, and this is this is one of the things I wanted to show that is just really sad to me. Uh, the The church was closing and they were kicking us out of there. This woman was weeping on this. This is where this is the marble slab they placed over the area where they say they laid the body out to prepare it for the tomb. Uh, again, it's probably not the exact place, but but this woman was weeping. She had bought all these things at the gift shop there, all these statues of Mary and statues of saints and Jesus. And she's trying to rub them on there and she's fiddling with them and she's panicking. And the monk is yelling at her to hurry up, say your prayers, get out, we're closing. It's just so sad, right? This is, this. It's, it's absurd, but it's also just so sad. She's misplaced her faith in, in these little statues and in being in this place and trying to get a blessing from from rubbing it on this stone. And that's the condition of the whole world, you know. And and that's really I think the point that I wanted to make that I wanted to drive home that this is the greatest event in history is the death burial and resurrection of Jesus. And this is probably where that took place, but it's hard to picture it there because of all these things that are going on. Go to the next and the next and skip that one. Um, there's one of the tombs that's in the church. Go ahead and go to the final yeah, final slides here. This is uh, what's called the garden tomb. Now, it's not probably the, lo- the right location, but it's easier to envision this happening here because it's still made up like a garden and there's tombs in place. It, there's not a giant church built over it with all these gold things everywhere. Uh, and so we, we kind of ended our tour there. And as I said, it, it's easier to picture that as being the actual place. Go to the, the last slide. And this being like the, the actual tomb and a garden like it talks about. But when we go and we get to experience these places, and hopefully you've gotten a little bit of a sense of, of what you experience when you do that, the the lay of the land, the, the sense of what Jesus went through and his, his trials and the, the punishments he endured for us. And then you see people living their life desperate for Christ but fighting over a square on a roof, uh, desperately trying to rub statues on to get a blessing. These, these sorts of sad misplacements of their, their faith. People just have the wrong focus and the wrong priorities. And that's the main point that was driven home to me in this whole trip, is that people, people go to the River Jordan, and they want to be baptized in the River Jordan just because Jesus was baptized in the River Jordan. You know, just, they carry home little vials of water from the River Jordan, right? Well, there's no magic in that water, right? There's nothing special. And, and that baptism is meaningless unless you're doing it for the right reasons. Uh, it's just really sad. But I think the, the application to us is, are, are we doing that some in our lives? Are we setting our priorities incorrectly? Are we putting our focus in, in the wrong place? It's easy to do that. It's easy to get lost and, and forget where we're supposed to put our trust, and our hope. And that's in the actual death, burial, and resurrection 
of Christ. So this morning, if, if that's the case for you, if you've got your priorities mixed and you've let sin enter back into your life, we would encourage you to correct that this morning by coming forward, confessing your sin, repenting, and we will pray with you and for you. If you've never put on Christ in baptism, we would love to study with you. If either of those is the case for you this morning, please come and make it right. Don't leave here lost as we stand and as we sing.